Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show. Today we are going to talk about the topic of things that can masquerade as hoarding disorder. So we're talking about conditions or neurodiversities or behaviours that can sometimes look to the untrained and maybe even occasionally the trained eye as hoarding disorder. And the reason we're talking about this today is because recently Beck wrote a post on her social media talking about this and it just went bonkers. People felt heard, they felt validated. People that had been labelled as hoarders that felt that term was unjustified had a wonderful response or people that are around other people that they believe may have hoarding disorder gain some clarity around some of the conditions that might be leading their loved one or their friend to behave in such a way. So there was so much goodness and education in this. We thought it was worth sharing with the wider audience. So Beck, can you tell us a little bit about the post and the response to it? Yeah, I did a post about how a lot of people will call themselves hoarders, uh, will use the word hoarder when describing somebody else, and it's actually a lot of the time an inaccurate label because there are a lot of things, behaviours, conditions, uh, all that kind of stuff, habits, that actually can look like hoarding disorder or look like hoarding as a behavior but they're actually caused by something else or they are actually something else um, altogether that just simply looks a bit like this like what hoarding does on the outside and the problem is too that well the term hoarder gets thrown around for anyone that it's just being a bit of a bowerbird that has a tendency to keep things for too long and you know we really we overuse the term so much and it's not helped by the the TV shows and, and media but also there's this stigma attached so not only are we kind of I don't know um putting down people that actually suffer with hoarding disorder by being really flippant about it and mm. throwing the term around but also then we risk stigmatizing someone or making people feel less than because we're describing them as a hoarder when actually it could be something completely different yeah that's right and I mean I I've all I've long objected and I think we've talked about this before I've long objected to the term hoarder anyway and you know we I mean the technically that there's a few different perspectives in the industry of this and and I've had a couple of robust discussions with my colleagues and peers about this because I have quite a strong stand against people using the word hoarder but I don't actually have a strong stand against people using the word hoarding with a lowercase h because it's actually a word that we use it's a behavior we all do it's a behavior animals do (laughs) it's something it's a real thing you know we we hoard things. Um, it's it's a proper word that is not necessarily associated with a mental health disorder. But when you actually change it to a label of a person, that's when I get 
that's when I object. And some people will object to the use of the word hoarding with a lowercase h um, as well, but I don't. I certainly don't because it's a real word and it's in the dictionary. But as far as labelling a person, I do have a problem with it and I get very loud about that. So I'm more in favour of using a person-first language, so saying a person who hoards or person who has hoarding disorder. And um, so that, like you know, just like you were saying, uh, it's – there is some stigma attached and people are not their behavior. They are not their mental illness. They are a person who has a mental illness or a disability or whatever. And again, you know, this whole person first language is all up for debate anyway, because there are some areas where it might be used, for example, in disability or in mental health, where some people with those labels are owning it and reclaiming it. And so autistic is one of those. There are some people in the autism circles who don't like the word autistic, don't like being called autistic, don't like to use the word autistic. And then there are others that are happy to be called autistic and other people that prefer to call people autistic if that's what they choose. So there's lots of different um, perspectives on on sort of person first language in in this the whole area but as far as hoarding disorder goes that's my stand I'm I'm in favor of person first and if somebody wants to call themselves a hoarder I will not tell them not to (laughs) because they can choose their own labels Mm -hmm. Uh, but I will always defer to person first language unless they tell me they don't like it so that's where I stand. So what we're talking today mainly is not necessarily about the use of the word, but it is definitely worth bringing that up. But the actual, um, sometimes the, the mistakes people make when making an assessment about somebody and the cause of their living environment. And I see so many people who will say, oh, such and such said I'm a hoarder. My husband's a hoarder. My husband said I was a hoarder. Um, You know, my kids are hoarders, you know, and they sort of say this sort of behavior. And and then there are some people who are told they have hoarding disorder and they say I have hoarding disorder or I have compulsive hoarding. And I have found on quite a few of my clients that have been told this, I have actually found that they don't necessarily have the disorder and that and I do not dispute any psychologist diagnosis outwardly (laughs) Um, but inwardly uh, I have definitely done so because uh, I will see a behavior and I will see a symptom of a behavior and then I can trace its cause back to something other than hoarding disorder and so there's a few of that happening so what we'll talk about today uh, a few things that can masquerade, mas- a few things that can masquerade, I can't say masquerade, <laughs> masquerade, I might say, do it, is it masquerade or masquerade? I would say masquerade. Masquerade, I might say You're masquerade. You're from Adelaide, you should say masquerade as well. I'm from Victoria, dude, remember? <laughs> Oh yeah, you're the one who talks like Adelaide a, long enough. <laughs> uh, you're the one who talks like a South Australian. I'm the one who talks like a Victorian, and I'm um, yeah. Um, so there are quite a few things that can masquerade as hoarding disorder, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So, is that why you think this post that you did about behaviours and things masquerading as hoarding disorder struck such a chord with people? Because there's a lot of people out there that have confused the two or been wrongly, I don't want to say accused, but um, wrongly labelled. Is mm. is that why you think it mm. struck such a chord with people? Definitely. Uh, a very a large percentage of my social media followers are neurodiverse 
And it definitely struck a chord with them because a lot, and obviously a lot of my followers have lots of stuff. And so they sort of, it helped them just look at things in, in a different way. And those that either know people who are on the spectrum or know people who have ADHD or any of the other things that we're going to talk about today, they felt that it, I don't know, they, I guess they felt like there was just a bit of a relief that perhaps they're, um, they're not quite what they thought they were uh, and they didn't maybe need to be so hard on themselves mm. maybe. And that's where the stigma around hoarding disorder comes into it. If there was no stigma around hoarding disorder, people wouldn't be relieved at not being labelled a hoarder. Mm. <laughs> but um, there is that stigma there still, unfortunately. Okay, well, let's start with autism since you touched on that first. So that's one of the things you've indicated, one of the conditions or diversities that you've indicated can sometimes... Mm appear outwardly as hoarding disorder. Do you want to talk us through that, how that shows up? Yeah. So there's a few different – I mean, obviously autism is very broad diagnosis and there are lots of symptoms and uh, outward behaviours and, and things like that to, that, that come out of um, having autism. But one, a couple that sort of can sometimes bring on what looks like um, hoarding symptoms – one would be uh, an executive dysfunction that results in overwhelm and avoidance. And when somebody is overwhelmed by a task, they will avoid that task. And sometimes that, if that task involves maintaining a house, um, discarding things, sorting things, organising things, then it can then have an outward appearance of, of hoarding if, if those tasks are avoided for long enough. Um, also, people with autism often have special interests and those special interests are often collected. So they might collect mermaid tails. They might collect Toy Story memorabilia. They might collect shells. They might collect seeds, those kinds of things. They might have a, a particular interest in trains and buy every book on trains that's imaginable and every photo about trains. So there's all different sorts of special interests and co- what comes along with that special interest is a collecting behaviour and quite a quite vigorous <laughs> collecting behaviour, very intense and uh, very uh, robust. So lots of stuff gets collected in that way. So sometimes that can look a little bit like hoarding as well. Okay, and I guess then the culmination or the combination of those two things, so if you Mm. are collecting a lot of things but also then avoiding organising them or avoiding making decisions about sorting them and letting go of things, then that can pretty quickly start to appear as someone that's suffering Mm. with hoarding disorder because the volume of of belongings would go up rapidly and then either appear messily or out of control or overwhelming yeah and actually another one with autism is sensory issues and when somebody has sensory issues that can cause some avoidance as well and so I have one client with autism and she her her social worker and her psychologist sort of thought she had uh had hoarding disorder and she was a bit worried about that because she knows you know, intellectually that it's a very difficult condition to recover from. And after a couple of sessions, you know, she was expressing concern about this. And and I said to her, you know what, I actually don't think that you have hoarding disorder at all. 
And she looked at me and she said, why? Why Why do you think that? And I said, okay, so you've got autism. We know that. That's a diagnosis that you have. Autism causes your collecting behaviours. She did have a special interest. And uh, I said, so you're collecting that as part of, you know, that's the autism that's, that's doing that. And she said, yep, that makes sense. And then I said, you also get overwhelmed very easily and you avoid doing any tidying up, putting away? And she said, yep. And thirdly, she also has sensory issues. So she has a dust aversion. And as soon as something gets dust on it, she really finds it difficult to deal with. And it's very similar to, you know, an aversion that that we might have of picking up the dog poo or something like that. It's a strong aversion that has quite an impact. And so as soon as something gets any dust on it, she doesn't, she can't, physically cope um with the with the dust she has an actual physical reaction to it kind of like you know how we get a a physical reaction to dog poo we dry rich (laughs) well i do anyway she has a physical reaction to dust and so all of those things combined means that her house had gotten more full than what she would have liked uh, and she was avoiding doing any maintenance um, on it as well because of all of those other issues so that's basically you know it looks a little bit like like hoarding you might sort of walk in the house and just from a visual perspective go oh this person is hoarding um but she's actually not she's avoiding and she's collecting and those are the two behaviors that make her look like it so uh, she's one that has quite a cocktail um of behaviors arising from from her autism um more than having an actual separate disorder of hoarding disorder so so yeah that's interesting isn't it so Mm. Another one that you mentioned is ADHD. So mm. can you talk us through that? What, yeah. How does that manifest? It's in, actually similar to one of autism's symptoms is that uh, an executive dysfunction. So a lot of people with ADHD do have a, an executive dysfunction that causes them to shut down um, and become overwhelmed and shut down when faced with difficult tasks or complex tasks or tasks that take more than one step. And so, again, maintenance of a household requires several steps to do things and it can also become overwhelming very easily. You know, anyone who's gone behind in their washing knows what it's like to look at that, those three loads that need to be put away. Um, and so you sort of feel overwhelmed and so it causes an avoidance um, as well. So that's probably um, the, a very similar thing. And if you have autism and ADHD, then you're going to possibly have those symptoms quite strongly. Not everyone has the same symptoms with every condition, but, you know, it's it's there for, for a lot of them. Um, it also, ADHD can cause chronic disorganisation, um, difficulty categorising, which um, is what hoarding disorder, one of the symptoms of hoarding disorder is a difficulty in categorising. Uh, so there can be a mistaken identity there. ADHD can also cause impulsive behaviours such as impulse buying. So that can also look a bit like hoarding disorder because one of the symptoms of hoarding disorder is compulsive acquisition. So um, people with ADHD might be doing that as well. So again, you put all of those things together and you've got something that looks quite similar on the outside to to hoarding disorder. Okay. And can you talk to us about depression? Because this is a big one and this, you know, quite often coexists with other conditions as well. So Mm. how does depression, you know, masquerade as hoarding disorder? Yeah, I mean, depression, one of the two main symptoms of depression that cause clutter issues um, are decision-making anxiety and low motivation. So the first one, decision-making anxiety, when, when you have depression, quite often 
decision-making anxiety comes along with that. And what seems like a simple decision, what would have been a simple decision for you without the disorder, without the um, depression, and what may one day again be a simple decision for you without depression is pretty much impossible to make when you have it. So it can be a decision about, you know, whether to put something in the recycling or in the bin. And that becomes completely paralyzing and the decision is not made at all uh, because it just it just can't be made. So I recall you telling me a story at one point about when you were driving in Adelaide mm. in and not being able to make a decision about which road to take. Do you want to tell us? Because I, th- yeah. I think that story is really insightful about what's going on when you're having yeah. trouble making decisions based on depression. Yeah, so I had postnatal depression after my second child and I remember being in the car with the whole family and I was driving and Mick was in the passenger seat and where we live is almost directly east of the city and there are three major arterial roads into the city that we could take. We're kind of right smack bang in the middle of all of them. Uh, The middle one, which is the closest one to us, is often the one we don't take uh, and we will take one of the other two. And we were actually in on the middle road and I just kind of must have gone into autopilot and just driven down that way. And we got to the lights and uh, going in the direction of the city and I sort of had a thought, oh, maybe I shouldn't take this road. It might be busy. We might, I might, I sh- maybe I should go down to, to Kensington Road. And so I said to Mick, you know, should I stay on, on the parade or should I go down to Kensington Road? And he said, no, oh, it doesn't matter. And immediately I started to panic and I said, well, can you just tell me which way to go? Because I want to, I want to make sure I go the right way. And he said, it honestly doesn't matter. And I just burst into tears and I said, you have to just tell me which way to go because I can't, I can't decide whether to turn left or to go straight ahead. You just have to tell me. Um, And so he said, just keep going straight. It'll be fine. Doesn't matter. But keep, you know, but he told me to go straight and I just needed someone to tell me um, because I could not make that decision. And, you know, looking back now, I, I make that decision a billion times a day easily because I don't have depression anymore. But when I did, oh, man, that was tough. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Most people that listen to this podcast will have at least, hopefully, attempted to declutter something in their house or let something go mm. and... That decision is hard enough, I think, at times without depression, without any other factors influencing you, trying to decide, will I need this again someday? Oh, but the money I spent and the waste and all of that, that is a hard enough call when you are free of any other influences. So if you add depression to what is already, you know, a tough task, then you can Mm. imagine that letting go of things for people suffering with depression is just... It's just too hard. It's a too hard basket. So it's much easier to be left undone. Mm. And then, and, and not just letting go of clutter, but also decisions about cleaning and maintenance mm. and that kind of thing. So those things can pretty quickly escalate to start appearing as yeah. a hoarding disorder or, or something along those lines. So, yeah, yeah. you can see how they're kind of interlinked. Yeah, definitely. And then the second uh, symptom of depression that has an effect on clutter levels is a lack of motivation. And, you know, anyone who's had depression before knows it's hard to get out of bed um, a lot of the time, let alone carry on normal daily activities. And so if you've spent six months not doing any housework, then the house is going to 
be untidy and it's going to be full and and it's going to possibly be a bit dirty as well and so you know I have a lot of people sort of will will look at a situation and I've come across them before like tenancy practitioners or social workers or whatever and they've said you know oh this person's hoarding and 10 minutes into the conversation with the person I'm like no they're not (laughs) They've, they've just come out of a major bout of depression and they've looked up and they've gone oh how did this happen? How did I get here? You know, it's like the blinkers come off as they've gotten better and then they've gone, oh, I need to deal with this. Um, it's not that actually that they've been hoarding at all. Um, they've, there's no active behaviours around hoarding there. It's all just passive neglect, I guess, of, of the environment, which has been caused by the, the depression. And so given depression is one facet of bipolar disorder, how does that work then? Is that something mm. that commonly shows up as well yeah so in depressive episodes when people have bipolar they can do exactly the same thing so things can just get left um, and it all builds up and then it can sort of look a little bit like perhaps that person has been hoarding when you know they've just been avoiding more than anything Um, and then with bipolar as well you've got the another effect that would be um, sometimes during mania episodes people will make impulsive purchases so they'll go on shopping frenzies and shopping sprees and collect a whole lot of stuff and so that put those two together and that can also look a bit like hoarding as well on the from the outside. Now one of the things you mentioned was OCD um, this was in your post mm. and straight away to the untrained eye including mine you might think hang on OCD is usually about cleanliness they would be the last people I would expect Mm -hmm. to have cluttered houses let alone be mistaken for having hoarding disorder so how does OCD sometimes look like hoarding disorder how does that show up Mm, this is a really interesting one because that is a really common misconception about OCD is that it its major symptom is cleanliness and that's not the case there are definitely some people with OCD that have cleanliness as as their symptom or a a need to compulsively uh, clean things or arrange things so definitely some people would have this but it is not uh, for everyone it doesn't happen with everyone and there are different types of OCD there are different compulsions that come with different people so the compulsions are very individual and they're very related just to that person and some of them can be grouped largely you know like some behaviors are repetitive behaviors like switching light bulb the light switches on and off a certain number of times turning door handles a certain number of times those kinds of things so that there are a large large subset of OCD sufferers that do that the number-based behaviours. Then there are some that, like I said, do the cleanliness-based behaviours and the arranging and the sorting-based behaviours. But then there are others that have different behaviours again. And one woman that I worked with once had her, uh, um, her OCD symptoms were around the housework and she had to perform certain steps in her housework routines according to the compulsions to for the... Um, for the obsessive thoughts to go away, she needed to carry out these certain compulsions. And one of them was around washing the dishes and the the dishes routine that she had to follow um, through those compulsions in order to, to make the, the obsessive thoughts go away was like a five-hour 
dishes routine. So there was different phases of rinsing and um, categorizing and grouping and washing uh, and then repeating, you know, certain steps that actually made it a really long, long activity. And so, you know, I think anybody out there listening, if I told them to go and do the dishes and they knew it was going to take them five hours, they would say, no, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time to do the dishes today. I'm not even going to start that. Yeah. I think I'm going to yeah, be standing exactly. at the sink I'm... for five hours. Exactly. And so then when there are compulsions that take up a large amount of time, then they are avoided being undertaken at all. So it's like, well, I can't do that task because that task is going to take me too long or it's going to cause me too much inconvenience or it's going to make a big mess or whatever it's going to do. Uh, so I'm not going to do it at all. And so then that can end up looking like squalor, which can be mistaken for hoarding um, and so and so forth. Hmm. Mm. And some people suffering with OCD also have that tendency to make things just so or just right, don't they? You know, it's yeah. almost like a um, compulsion around perfection or things being yeah, exactly there is this, like I said, there's that arranging thing, which is related to obsessive thoughts. So like um, something, is got, something bad will happen if I don't have the pens lined up straight. So that's kind of an obsessive mm. thought related OCD compulsion. Then there is uh, this other OCD, which one of my clients has, which is called just right OCD. And just right OCD is actually more feeling than thought based. So mm. normally there is an obsessive thought like my family will die if I don't switch the light switch on and off eight times. So there's that kind of thought based around which prompts the compulsion. And then with just right OCD, it's more like a feeling that something isn't right and they have to make adjustments until it feels right. The only problem is they don't know what right is until they feel it. So with my client who has just right OCD, when we were arranging her bookcase, she we had to do it four times because she kind of had an idea of what she wanted from a visual perspective and we'd set it up and then she would say, no, it's not right. And I couldn't say to her, okay, what do we need to change? Because she didn't know. <laughs> so we had to go, all right, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And so it was more of a, um, a process of elimination to get it feeling right. And, you know, after a few tries, she said, yes, yes, now it feels right, you know. And from a visual perspective, I don't even know what the difference was and I don't think she would have known and she didn't care. It was more like, okay, now I feel like I can relax. But before then she couldn't, it wasn't, she just, it was unfinished. And so that's another thing that can happen as well is that, you know, things just aren't right. Um, and if you have to go through an extensive process to get anything feeling right, again, you can avoid making any changes because that's mm. going to be, you know, again, stressful and, and take a long time as well. Mm, sounds exhausting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it is. So what about anxiety disorders? Because they're increasingly more common and oh, yeah. quite often, you know, um, comorbid with a whole range of other things. So what? Mm. talk to us around that. Yeah, and a lot of clients with um, OCD have anxiety, a lot of clients with autism have anxiety, definitely clients with depression frequently have anxiety as well so it kind of it's a friend to everyone anxiety unfortunately mm -hmm. and so yeah so like I said before there's decision making anxiety so if you have a general anxiety disorder you might have difficulty making decisions about you know day-to-day -day activities that make things a little bit hard for you it can also cause avoidance overwhelming avoidance um, it can cause panic attacks uh, so if 
if you have a trigger that is around decluttering or tidying uh, or discarding in, in any way, then that could cause panic attacks, which would make you obviously not want to undertake that activity because panic attacks are awful. And so, of course, if you know that they're likely to turn up when you do an activity, you're going to avoid doing that activity. That makes mm-hmm. perfect sense for self-preservation. Also, sometimes people will self-soothe um, their anxiety. So they'll self-medicate I guess by purchasing things so that can be you know I'm feeling anxious I'm feeling worried I I I need to feel better so I think buying something will make me feel better so there can be those self-soothing activities there's lots of different self-soothing activities but the one that relates to clutter is purchasing Mm. okay and so moving on to dementia and this Mm. I guess to the untrained eye seems more logical how this could possibly look yeah. Like hoarding disorder because of the issue remembering. Yeah. And sometimes dementia and hoarding disorder are both there, like they are quite uh, frequently comorbid anyway. And so telling the difference between them can get a bit tricky uh, for sure. But sometimes you there might not be hoarding disorder, it might just be dementia because people with dementia will have difficulty remembering things, obviously. It's one of the um, hallmarks of the condition. Uh, and so keeping things out where they're seen becomes a habit. Uh, so the more stuff that's out, the more full the house looks and the more anxious they get about losing things and having things put away or taken out of their vision, um, they will get as well. And without being really dismissive of it, I think most of us, even those that would like to think they live with less or they're pretty uncluttered, if you got most of the stuff in your house out where you could see it, mm. it would be it would be crazy, wouldn't yeah, it? It would be yeah. like uh, overwhelming, and you would probably rethink how much how you, much you had because yeah, if you right. had things all of your you know all of your stuff out on flat surfaces where you could see it, so that you knew where it was or you could find it easily. Mm. we'd probably all think twice about how much we actually own yeah for sure Um, and I guess mm. and that sort of I mean with dementia there's also probably another category that would have similar behaviors would be brain injuries and I have had clients with brain injuries that do need to have everything out because of their processing it's a requirement they just can't function unless they can see it so people with dementia dementia also want to preserve the memory of things as well because they are in in a when they're in early stages very well aware that they are forgetting things and so you know they get they want to to hold on to things in order to preserve the memory dementia can also cause cognitive dysfunction which causes difficulty making decisions so again things stay because the decision is too hard Um, people with dementia also can comfort seek uh, by collecting familiar and comforting items and they also have a problem feeling a bit out of control so sometimes collecting and, and keeping behaviors can be an effort to to maintain some sense of control over their life mm. there was someone I knew who was early stages dementia and they had almost it was almost like nesting type behavior oh, yeah. they you know um things that had been tucked away especially sentimental items that were in cupboards or drawers or tucked up high they were out, everything was out and almost in a cyclical manner around the house. Like they'd, they'd found a wall to prop every little skerrick of, of history and memorabilia oh, yeah. up just to try and keep things fresh and remind themselves and trigger. And it makes perfect sense why they would behave like that. But, again, mm. if you 
if you pull all of that stuff out and have it all on show and then, you know, combine it with a couple of other things like not being able to let any of the other stuff that's coming in go, yeah, you can see how pretty soon it would start to take over. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So what about things that are not neurodiversities as such but just addictions? Mm. Yeah, addiction and substance abuse can sometimes look a little bit like hoarding uh, simply because they can cause a neglect of, of your environment. So similar to depressive states, it can sometimes just mean that things just don't get done the way they normally would have been done. And so, you know, that can also build up clutter and a bit of dirt and grime as well. Are there any other things that you can think of or that you've that you recall mentioning in your post that, that might show yeah, up? Yeah, a really big one would be trauma. And I have a, f- a few clients that have trauma, well, loads of clients with trauma in their past. And that can actually, it's a bit tricky because trauma is probably one of the few things that has been identified as a possible cause or um, there's some kind of causality link between trauma and hoarding disorder. But you don't necessarily have to have had trauma. Well, sorry, you don't necessarily have to have hoarding disorder to have trauma cause some clutter issues. So that's kind of what I'm talking about here. Um, Definitely people with hoarding disorder almost always have trauma in their past. But then there are cluttered people that don't have hoarding disorder that have trauma in their past as well. And so trauma can sort of show up in in hoarding disorder as well as non-hoarding disorder kind of behaviours. So childhood trauma can cause anxiety, can trigger panic, can cause attachment issues, can trigger self-soothing activities. Also sometimes in childhood if there was no role model to teach how to maintain boundaries and things like that, that can have an effect as well where, you know, it's not someone doesn't have hoarding disorder, they just are living how they, how they were raised basically mm-hmm. they don't know how to do it any differently uh, than than the way that they grew up and, and so that can sort of look a bit like hoarding but without actually having necessarily having the disorder itself so have we covered most of them do you think yeah i think so um i mean basically there's there's obviously a few more so um creative personalities uh and there might be some other disorders as well maybe borderline personality disorder um, which might have sort of similar control issues that we were talking about with with some of the others but those are kind of the main ones that I see and like I said there's also the possibility of brain injury as well that can that can pop up as well with with some of these but I think really it's just basically that the point is that these hoarding behaviours and and unclean living environments can come from many possible sources and it is important to not dismiss a certain behaviour as being caused by just one thing. Um, I have lots of clients with several comorbid conditions and to I think to dismiss the complexity and the overlap and the grey that that sits within that means that you could possibly miss out on some treatment. And that's sort of what worries me is that if someone, if they sort of say, oh, this person has hoarding disorder and it's not, it's actually their autism, then they're missing out on some therapy and some um, possible um, 
even if it's just understanding, like they're just mm. they're just missing out on being understood and being accepted for who they are. It's like, you know, okay, so you have autism. That means you do this, and that's cool because that's that's what people with autism do, you know. And that acceptance is something that you know I think is can mean a lot to somebody, and it can help them learn how to manage their behaviours because they know what angle to attack it on. And also hoarding disorder has very few proven treatment methods and options. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, let's just keep them safe kind of thing. So depending on what it is that's causing your condition, you could be, you know, like I said, missing out on treatment. There, If you have ADHD, there is medication that can help you with ADHD. And if someone says, oh, they're just a hoarder, you, wait, are you really are you going to be missing out on some treatment? Um, so I think knowing where things come from can actually help people to understand themselves, feel a little bit better about who they are, and possibly seek help if they want it as well, and and know what angle to attack their their problems um, at. And from, I think from is the right word, <laughs> not at. I think it would be you know we all hope that down the track the whole stigma of hoarding disorder uh, kind of dissolves or dissipates or goes away. But in the meantime, and thanks to shows like Hoarders and I guess the the general media spin that we get on hoarding and probably people's just misunderstanding or miseducation about what is involved, people get labelled and it's so hard either being the person that has been labelled to remove that or Mm. when you understand that someone or you assume that someone near you is a hoarder and you don't look any further, you don't offer any understanding, you don't um, have any empathy for what they might be going through because you assume they fall into that little slot, that little Mm. bucket. And so I guess if nothing else, this show educates people that there are so many things that could pop up that maybe you either need a ask more questions or just have more empathy because maybe it's not quite so black and white. For sure. And if you're a person who has hoarding behaviours or any of the behaviours that we've talked about now, it's okay. Like you are not your disorder. You are a person with a whole big range of great aspects and wonderful things about you and then you have a condition or you have a behaviour, but you are not that behaviour. Um, understanding this, I think, might help you as well. You know, just accept yourself and, and maybe teach others to accept you as well. So I will attempt to put a link to Beck's original post in the show notes. So if people want to go and have a look and have a look at the myriad of comments that have come back from people, possibly gain some more education or just find some understanding amongst that um, cohort, then check that out in the show notes. Yep. And if you would like to chat further about this with us or with others that are interested, please join us in our Facebook community group and we will see you here next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.